Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode on the craft of writing fiction, both novels and short stories. This is Jim Thayer. I'd like to talk about creating a funny character for our story. Why, funny characters can be fascinating and they can change the texture of a story and, to be profound, they can make readers laugh, which almost always, even in thrillers and horror and adventure novels, almost always is good. Humorous characters are fun to read about and they're fun to write about. Who do I mean, funny characters? How about Bridget Jones, created in all her funny weirdness by Helen Fielding? Or the wise-cracking Abilene Clark in The Help by Catherine Stockett? Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine in, uh, by Gail Honeyman. Uh, the movie producer Harry Zim in Elmore Leonard's Get Shorty. Or Maddie Ross in Charles Portis's True Grit. Uh, Arthur Dent in A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, Tyrion Lannister from George R. R. Martin's A Game of Thrones. Uh, Mark Watney in The Martian by Andy Weir, Anne Shirley in Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. The plots of these novels might be serious and the stories often tense, but isn't it fun for us readers to be along with these characters because they are often funny? There are some reasons we should create a funny character. First, funny characters are how can I put this? Funny. And readers like humor. That's enough of a reason. But another reason for creating a character who is humorous is for the use of contrast. As you know, blue is bluer when placed next to yellow, and yellow becomes yellower when placed next to blue. The same principle applies to characters. Your hero's uh, determination and bravery and ingeniousness will stand out if she is shown next to a character who is light and funny. Uh, contrast between characters is important between characters, and so is contrast between scenes. A tense scene will be more tense if preceded or followed by a lighter scene, maybe a funny scene involving our funny character. Uh, humorous Characters are excellent at, at changing the mood of a story. And another uh, f good reason to create a funny character is that they are fun to create. I'm reading Jessica Mitford's account of the Mitford sisters' childhoods. The, uh, the book is titled Hans and Rebels. And Jessica mentions that her sister Nancy, who it turned out was a terrific writer, Nancy would giggle. Uh, she'd giggle while writing her first novel called Highland Fling. Pen in hand, Nancy would write, and then she'd laugh at her own writing. Uh, I've read her novel Love in a Cold Climate, and she created very funny characters. Doesn't that sound fun? Uh, if we create a funny character, we'll have fun laughing at him, him, or her, him or her. What could be better than that? Here are some techniques on how to create a funny character. First, 
make their appearance funny. For example, Ignatius J. Riley in the novel A Confederacy of Dunces. The description of Ignatius begins on the novel's first page. A green hunting cap squeezed the top of the fleshy balloon of a head. The green ear flaps full of large ears and uncut hair and the fine bristles that grew in the ears themselves stuck out on the other side like turn signals indicating two directions at once. Full pursed lips protruded beneath the bushy black mustache and at their corners sank into little folds filled with disapproval and potato chip crumbs. In the shadow under the green visor, of the cap, Ignatius J. Riley's supercilious blue and yellow eyes looked down upon the other people waiting under the clock at D. H. Holmes's, uh, D. H. Holmes's department store, studying the crowd of people for signs, <laughs> signs of bad taste in dress. Ignatius himself was dressed comfortably and sensibly. The hunting cap prevented head colds. The voluminous tweed trousers were durable and permitted unusually free locomotion. Their pleats and nooks contained pockets of warm, stale air that soothed Ignatius. The plaid flannel shirt made a jacket unnecessary, while the muffler guarded exposed Riley skin between earlap and collar. The outfit was acceptable by a theological and geom geometrical standards, however abstruse, suggesting a rich inner life. That's John Kennedy Toole's wonderful description of Ignatius J. Riley, and it's funny. Here's another description that's funny. Uh, this is Uriah Heep, and while Uriah Heep is a villain in Charles Dickens's David Copperfield. He's also a funny character because of his ingratiating and transparently phony buttering up and because of his appearance. Here is Dickens's description. The face came out. It was quite as cadaverous as it looked as it had looked in the window though in the grain of it there was that tinge of red which is sometimes to be observed in the skins of red-haired people. It belonged to a red-haired person, a youth of fifteen, as I take it now, but looking much older, whose hair was cropped as close as the closest stubble, who had hardly any eyebrows and no eyelashes and eyes of a red-brown, uh, so unsheltered and unshaded that I remember wondering how he went to sleep. He was high-shouldered and bony, dressed in decent black, with a white wisp of a neckcloth buttoned up to the throat, and had a long, lank, skeleton hand which particularly attracted my attention. He is pale with exceedingly long fingers that he always rubs together, a retreating chin, lank, limp hair, and curling, greasing locks. That's Charles Dickens. That's a, a f funny description of, of one of literature's great villains, Uriah Heep. So that's our first technique. Uh, make the character's description funny. The person looks funny. A second technique is give the character a short horizon. 
one of the funniest books I've ever read is The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, age 13 and three quarters, by Sue Townsend. Uh, Adrian, at age 13 and three, quarter, three quarters, only knows about his house and his school, and much of what he knows is wrong. Uh, the comedy comes from his having to, to face the reality of life as it is, not as his short horizon has led him to think it is. This short horizon is made clear in the first page of the novel where he lists his New Year's resolutions. This is Adrian Mole's resolution. One, I will help the blind across the road. Two, I will hang my trousers up. Three, I will put the sleeves back on my records. Four, I will not start smoking. Five, I will stop squeezing my spots. Six, I will be kind to the dog. Seven, I will help the poor and ignorant. (laughs) Eight, after hearing the disgusting noises from downstairs last night, I have also vowed never to drink alcohol. That's Adrian Mole's New Year's resolutions and the mix of the big and tiny uh, it shows the reader that Adrian has a short horizon. It's very funny throughout the book. A third way to make a character funny is to make the character obsessive. Let me mention Nancy Mitford again. In her novel, Love in a Cold Climate, Lady Montdor, who's based on her mother, is interested in her place in English society more important to her than her husband or daughter or anything else. That's all she thinks about. Uh, This singular focus makes her do funny things. Uh, Not funny to her as, as they are in deadly earnest, but funny to the reader, such as calling up the British Prime Minister on the phone to talk about her daughter Polly's engagement and what benefits might accrue to Polly from the marriage. And she talks about the beautiful sunsets in Madrid and invites him to a dinner party. When Lady Montdor hangs up the phone, she says, I have the most wonderful effect on that man, you know. Uh, Lady Montdor is obsessive and it's funny. Uh, Don Quixote is another one who's obsessive and his obsession is, is honorable. It's to revive chivalry in the world. And he... along with restoring the values of honor and courage. He sets out on a journey with his squire, Sancho Panza, but Don Quixote uh, was going to fail from the start as the mission uh, just can't be done. And in any event, he's uh, a stout, middle-aged fellow. Uh, And he sees things that aren't there, such as mistaking windmills for giants, and so he attacks them with his lance. Don Quixote is much more than just a funny character, of course. He's a a tragic figure, but his obsession makes him do humorous things. Number four, make the character particularly witty. Here is Oscar Wilde in the picture of Dorian Gray. The only way a woman can ever reform a man is by boring him so completely that he loses all possible interest in life. And here is Oscar Wilde again. Experience is merely the name men give to their mistakes. 
Uh, Oscar Wilde is a high bar for wit, uh, maybe the highest bar, but your character doesn't have to be always and mercilessly funny. Uh, Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice is sharp and witty, but she's not a laugh-a-minute factory. Uh, my thinking is that if we, if we aren't witty in real life, creating a witty character might be difficult. I don't ask my cat Jack to paint the house. But maybe you are, indeed, persistently funny, like the main character, Nina Hill, in the novel The Bookish Life of Nina Hill. I'm not acquainted with the author, Abby Waxman, but I don't know how she could create such a witty character unless she is witty herself, and I'll bet she is. Uh, you might be too. We witty authors can instill wit in our character. Number five, give them a funny quirk. We're talking about how to create funny characters. Give them a quirk. Uh, Agatha Christie's detective, Hercule Poirot, strokes his mustache while he's thinking. In the novel Love in the Time of Cholera by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Dr. Juvenile Urbino eats asparagus every day so he can smell it in his urine. Uh, Captain Hook from J.M. Barry's Peter Pan fears crocodiles and he starts, he jumps at the sound of a clock. Mr. Collins in Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice bows stiffly to everyone. Uh, these quirky little mannerisms are humanizing, and they're also funny. Uh, number six is give the character a personality flaw. Ebenezer Scrooge is so greedy and devoted to his business that he carries his own temperature with him. Here is one of the most famous uh, lines, famous sentences in literature, it's about Scrooge, and it's, it makes him funny. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. That's, of course, Charles Dickens. Scrooge is so grasping that he, quote, carried his own low temperature about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. That's Charles Dickens. Uh, Scrooge is so grasping that he lowers the temperature in rooms he visits. Uh, at the beginning of the story, Scrooge, of course, is a villain, but he's also funny due to his exaggerated greed, his personality flaw. Uh, another character who, whose character flaw, which is pomposity, makes him funny, is also from Charles Dickens, this time from, from Oliver Twist. A beetle is a minor parish official. official. Here's Charles Dickens. Walk in, sir. Walk in, pray, Mr. Bumbledoo, sir. Although this invitation was accompanied by, uh, with a curtsy that might have softened the heart of a church warden, it by no means mollified the beetle. Do you think this respectful or proper conduct, Mrs. Mann, inquired Mr. Bumble, grasping his cane, to keep the parish officers awaiting at your garden gate? Uh, 
when they come here upon parochial business connected with the parochial orphans, are you aware, Mrs. Mann, that you are, as may say, a parochial delegate and a stipendiary? <laughs> that's, that's Mr. Bumble, a great comic uh, character in, in fiction, and he's, he's funny because he's so pompous. Character flaws can be hugely funny. Here's number seven and the last one. Use physical comedy, even slapstick. There are two types of people in the world, those who think the Three Stooges are funny and those who don't. I'm among the former. What's funnier than watching someone's ice cream fall from a cone to the floor? Nothing. Except maybe seeing Laurel and Hardy try to move a piano up a flight of stairs. Our novel might not be a slapstick story, but once in a while, physical comedy fits well in a story. Something, something weird and common, uh, instantly understandable by the reader, can happen in real life and can happen in a story, and it's funny. In the Master and Commander series by Patrick O'Brien, the physician Stephen Matron almost never boards a ship without mishap. There's just something about ladders and the ocean and the steep side of a, of a ship that baffles him. T to see this polished intellectual uh, be so f bumbling is funny. He almost invariably gets wet while his friends, the sailors, do all they can to try to help him get on board and try not to laugh. Those are the seven things I can think of about how we might create a, a funny character for our novel. Here's a caution. Few things are as flat in, as comedy that doesn't work. Uh, a situation in a novel meant to be funny, but, but that just isn't, is going to be flat. Uh, a character meant to be funny who isn't. How can we tell if our comedy that we're putting into our story is in fact funny? I suppose we could ask a friend or a spouse or a relative re to read it, but these folks are unreliable critics. They probably won't want to hurt our feelings by saying, I don't see the humor. So how do we know if our character we've invented uh, is actually funny? I don't know. Perhaps we have to trust our lifelong development of humor, trust our judgment on humor. Uh, maybe we have a sense that we know funny when we see it and we'll know it when we write it and, and so we can create a funny character. This is weak tea, I know, but that's all I know about how to tell if our own humor is indeed funny. I have been reading Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. I'm interested in how they work. Here is how Charles Dickens did it. This is Mason Curry in his book. Dickens was prolific. He produced 15 novels, 10 of which are longer than 800 pages, but he could not be productive without certain conditions in place. First, he needed absolute quiet. At one of his houses, an extra door had to be installed to his study to block out noise. 
and his study had to be precisely arranged, with his writing desk placed in front of a window, and on the desk itself his writing materials, his, his uh, goose quill pens and blue ink, laid out alongside, alongside several ornaments, a small vase of fresh flowers, a large paper knife, a gilt leaf with a rabbit perched upon it, and two bronze statuettes, uh, one depicting a pair of fat toads dueling, uh, the other a gentleman swarmed with puppies. Uh, Mason Curry continues, Dickens's working hours were invariable. His son recalled that, quote, no city clerk was ever more methodical or orderly than he. No humdrum, monotonous, conventional task could ever have been discharged with more punctuality or with more business-like regularity than he gave to the work of his imagination and fancy. That's uh, Charles Dickens' son. Mason Curry goes on, uh, Dickens rose at 7 o'clock had breakfast at 8 o'clock, and was in his study at 9. He stayed there until 2, taking a brief break for lunch with his family, during which he often seemed to be in a trance, eating mechanically and barely speaking a word before hurrying back to his desk. On an ordinary day, he would complete about 2,000 words in this way, but during a flight of imagination, he sometimes managed twice that amount. Other days, he would hardly write anything. Nevertheless, he stuck to his work hours without fail, doodling and staring out the window to pass the time. Mason Curry continues about Charles Dickens. Promptly at 2 o'clock, Dickens left his desk for a vigorous three-hour walk through the countryside or the streets of London continuing to think of his story and, as he described it, searching for some pictures I wanted to build upon. Returning home, his brother-in-law remembered, quote, he looked the personification of energy which seemed to ooze from every pore as from some hidden reservoir. That's Dickens's brother-in-law. Mason Curry goes on, Dickens's nights, however, were relaxed. He dined at six then spent the evening with family or friends before retiring at midnight. That's how Charles Dickens worked from Mason Curry's book, Daily Rituals. I like knowing that Dickens worked and that his novels didn't spring fully formed from the ground. He had to work at them just like you and me. Once in a while, I come across an interesting fact Here's one. The Amazon River is 3,977 miles long, and in all that length, not one bridge crosses it. That's it for this episode. If you'd care to send me an, a message, my email address is jimthayerseattle at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.